Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. My guest today is Molly Hashimoto. Molly, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. And what brought us together was your publisher, Mountaineer Press. And uh, they sent me a copy of your book. Uh, as I'm holding it up, not that anyone's going to see this, but Trees of the West, an artist's guide. Lovely book. So was it, this was not your first book, correct? No, uh, there were three previous ones also published by Mountaineers Books. Well, let's, let's, let's go backwards then for a second. You're an artist primarily, right? Is that your, would, would that be your identifier as an artist? Yes, uh, my whole career, pretty much that's my identifier, but I have always been a book person and I can elaborate a little bit about that for you let's, if you like. But let's I do don't, it. okay. Well, when I went to college and graduate school, I was an English major. So I did a lot of writing and I love writing. But art was a, you know, in high school, I really wanted to be an artist, but I got some encouragement from my writing. So I went down that path, but I never stopped doing art. And okay. then uh, after graduate school, like many English majors, I went, uh oh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> so, I shouldn't laugh, but yes, that is a, that's a, <laughs> yes. That's right. So I worked at Elliott Bay Books for many years and I was the children's book, poster, calendar, um, card buyer, uh, you know, after I'd been there for a while. And that put me in touch with Pomegranate Communications. And they were at the time out of California. Now they've moved up to Portland, but they are a worldwide art publisher. And uh, they began to publish my work. So I had, you know, a little bit of success at the beginning, but uh, mostly was just working as an artist and uh, teacher, did a lot of teaching, which I really love. So um, I travel around the West, have done so for many, many years. And I started keeping notebooks of some of the places I went and I've hiked my whole life. So the trees, all of the books were just a natural outgrowth of of the hiking and uh yeah that that's pretty much sums it up well let me ask you this so you know i'm going to paint a picture out of my imagination now is that you were out hiking one day and you probably took some of your art supplies with you and you were out there just i don't want to say doodling but you know sketching things out and all when when did you get the inspiration to say i want to do a book um i was at yellowstone many years ago and I went into the Albright Visitor Center at Mammoth Hot Springs, and I saw reproductions of Thomas Moran's uh, watercolor sketches. And I was really inspired. His watercolors are so much fresher, and they feel they make you feel that you were right there with him. And I thought, well, he's he was a great artist, but I want to try this too. And I'd always been real inspired by all these places and the history of them. And, and I read a lot of books about them. So that I think is where I started to uh, develop the idea for a book. And did you, did you pitch this to Mount, was Mountaineers your first publisher? I guess I better. Well, um, 
No, years ago, I'd done a children's book for Sasquatch Books. And at the time I met Andy Pugh, who is, was the, worked there as in various uh, roles and, um, and didn't work there any longer when I ran into her and we just, she said, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm working on, you know, a bunch of sketchbooks and writing about my visits to these beautiful national parks and monuments. And she said, let me see it. Well, she is a literary agent now, has been for a long time, and she had good connections to Mountaineers books. So um, Anne said, you know, I think you've got a book here. I think you should, I think we should work together and we should pitch it to the Mountaineers books editor. So that's how that came about. All right. I I always, whenever I talk to authors, I I think it's interesting to hear everybody's story about how they, how the book found them in some cases, you know, it, Mm -hmm. it was just the book that had to be written or, or what their events were that led them up to, you know, saying, I'm, you know, here, I put this together and then pitching it. And and normally I ask this question later on in the episodes of authors. And I, I think today I'm going to just, I'm going to get it to the beginning. Cause I think it's, I think it's a fun question. What do you remember of the first time you saw your book in public and where was that? Um, I think that I may have first seen it at university bookstore Okay. And uh, it was just thrilling, absolutely thrilling. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very exciting. But, you know, I think even more exciting than that was when the editor-in-chief of Mountaineers Books, Kate Rogers, said yes to the book and issued me a contract. And that, I think, was the most thrilling thing of all, because I couldn't believe it. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I, it, 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 we'll come back to that in a second. Sure. So what I think is, so the first time I asked an author this question, and maybe it's because it was the first time I asked the question of somebody and their response totally took me off guard. Yeah. This is a Seattle author. He's written three books now on Seattle history, kind of the prohibition era. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, I said, so where did you first see, you know, when, where, did, where were you when you first saw your book, you know, in public? And his answer was, it was on the shelves at Bartell Drugs. Oh, that's And he great. goes, I'm in Bartell, my local Bartell's Drugs, and there's my book. And I had to, I just thought, how, yes, Bartell's has, a, you know, they, they, I haven't been in Bartell's in a number of years, but they did. I remember them having kind of a local curated section of books. But what an interesting place to see your work in, in, in a drugstore. So you saw yours at university, at university bookstore, which is, you know, boy, it's been years since I've been in, in there. I just always, I always remembered that as being a really impressive store to walk through and look at all the things that they were carrying and all of that. So I can imagine that it would have been pretty, pretty inspiring for you to see your book there. But let's go back because you said something that no one's else has said is when when the editor in chief said yes. Walk me through that. I mean, well, didn't you, didn't you kind of think they were going to say yes? I mean, um, no, not not really. Um, I thought. I mean, I believed in what I was doing, but. You know, you know that these editors have slush piles, you know, a mile high. And okay. so 
and and I was in the book business too, you know, okay. years ago. So I kind of know what that world is about, and it, it's really difficult. It's like getting a ne- pushing a needle through a hay, finding a needle through a hay in a haystack. So right. um, that was a real thrill. And the other thing, Scott, that's interesting is the Mountaineers do a fabulous job of editing, and the editing process on a book is pretty intensive and pretty long. So mm-hmm. in a way, you know, when you once you've gone through that process, you you know the book, it exists. Okay. It really exists. And you see the proofs and I had to look at color proofs. And so its existence was assured. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. All right. That's okay. When you say it like that, that makes sense. So your first book, how long from, from when they said yes to when it was released, how long was that process? You know, that's, that's a really good question, Scott. And I can't, I can't remember exactly, but I think that I turned that out really quickly. I mean, I think it was something like, okay, I worked on it for a year. I had a year, but that's because I had worked I'd already created these sketches years ago, you know, and I had been writing. So that wasn't such a tight deadline. And then I think the editorial process took about a year. Okay. So on trees of the West. So here's a question for you. And like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Mountaineers, Mountaineers has been great because they, they, when there's an author that overlaps with what our audience is about, they oftentimes reach out and say, Hey, you should talk to Molly. And, and, or, and then maybe they reach out to you and go, Hey, I'm going to make you talk to this guy. I'm sorry, but you're going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. It, the <laughs> goal is Mountaineers has been, has been a great uh, source of, of, of authors to have conversations with. And they send me and typically they send me a, a copy of the book. Um, most of the books the Mountaineers has sent me has been paperback. Yours is a hardback. Mm-hmm. What, what was the decision and how, how did you guys decide or who decided and and what was the reasoning why this was a hardback? Yeah, I think marketing and editorial gets together to make these decisions. But I think that the major thought behind it was that with the exception of Birds of the West, which came out in the spring, Mm -hmm. all of them came out in the fall. And that is a major time to buy gifts for people. And uh, a beautiful hardcover book it you know they they uh get great prices on these they're not expensive and it's a perfect gift for people who like nature art the outdoors yeah well and i had never thought about it in those terms but it's so glaringly obvious when you say if it comes out in fall holiday gift giving right a hardback book is um a beautiful gift to give somebody yeah okay that makes sense I was, I was actually kind of hoping for some big, big story. Like, you know, you guys had to arm wrestle or some or something, but no, I kid. Um, how long did trees of the West take you? And I'm going to guess that from what we've said is that you, you'd get, you probably some of the artwork that's in it was already had been done or did you start fresh with a blank slate? If you will. No, there was, there was no blank slate. I had a lot of, a lot of paintings and block prints of trees. I, I've been obsessed with them ever since I moved to Washington when in my twenties. So yeah, uh, over many, many years, I've done a lot. So I believe that that process was only a year, which okay. is sounds crazy, but, but uh, you know, just the work had been done in many cases. Okay. So you moved to Washington in, in your twenties. Where did you go to college at? 
I went to the University of Minnesota and uh, went to graduate school at the University of Chicago and uh, met uh, my husband at the time there at the University of Chicago. And we moved back to Seattle where he was from. Okay. I can't imagine why anybody would leave Minnesota or Illinois. I mean, (laughs) winters there are just lovely. I love Chicago. I, I, I think the city of Chicago is probably my favorite U.S. city. And mm-hmm. here I am, the host of Exploring Washington State. But I I love the city of Chicago. I think it's the architecture is fabulous. I'm going to guess, I can't believe we're talking about something other than Washington, but have you ever taken the architectural boat tour? You know, I didn't take the architectural boat tour, but I'll tell you, I went on the Frank Lloyd Wright tour of Oak Park. Wonderful. And then... I did a tour. I think the guy's name is Henry Hobson Richardson. These beautiful turn of the century, 19th to 20th century buildings. And so, yeah, but I, I've always wanted to try that boat tour. So, you know, it's very touristy if, you know, and and I went back and we took it kind of, um, it was a group of us there and we decided to take it. I didn't really have any, um, I like, I I like, I enjoy architecture, but didn't really have any expectations. That boat tour was really, really wonderful. I, if you go back to Chicago and the weather cooperates, yeah, I'm not saying you should take it in December, but, um, you know, springtime would be lovely to take mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you moved out here, um, and then, and so you've lived in Seattle for a number of years now or in the Seattle area. Um, mm-hmm. did you always live in the Seattle area or, or have you yeah. lived? Okay. Yeah, no, 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 nowhere else. Nowhere else. Mm-hmm. So things have changed in Seattle in, in the years that have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I I used to live in Seattle uh, a long time ago and we moved over here to to avoid traffic. I got just, I got burned out on traffic. I was commuting mm-hmm. 28 miles each way to work every day. And yeah, I, not, not to Seattle, I was going actually down to Olympia from the Tacoma area and mm-hmm. just couldn't take anymore. So you brought up something I wasn't prepared for and that's Elliott Bay Books. Mm-hmm. Um wonderful wonderful uh bookstore loved going there um were you working there when it became part of third place books no no i i left long before that but uh incidentally i just attended in july their 50th anniversary party because some of the longtime folks you know people they'd remembered from the past got invited and it was just quite quite delightful i i had a great time yeah, I just I love that bookstore as a as a. It's only been it's only been open fifty years because I could have sworn I went there as a kid, and that would have been more than fifty years ago. Huh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. So you work there, and your art is available. You have you have art for sale and all these things. I'm bouncing around because I'm trying to to figure out where where I want to go with this. You, you are a full-time artist, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. So what was that like to go and make that jump? Um, well, it, you know, I, I was just, I did it my whole life and I mm-hmm. took a few years off when I had two children and I took care of them for a few years. So, okay. you know, I, I squeezed in some art time even then. Right. And then, you know, I had some little part time jobs, but then I got into teaching art and I really loved it. And that helped me make money. So the the teaching 
uh, you know, most artists, writers, and musicians, they really, they must teach. And, you know, it, it really helps if you love it, which I do. Oh, you're not wrong there. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> That's right. I have a lot of friends who are musicians and they're not doing it for the money. That's for sure. Or if, if they are, they're very thin. They're very thin. <laughs> but you enjoy teaching. So some of my musician friends don't enjoy that. So that, that cuts down on their opportunities. But you enjoy teaching. What is it about the teaching process that you that inspires you and that you enjoy? Um, well, here's an example. I just I just got back from the Oregon coast. There's a wonderful organization called Sitka Center for Art and Ecology. And I did three classes for them. And part of what I love about teaching is the preparation because I have to think really clearly and uh, or and organize myself to present information to people. Mm -hmm. And I like to really go through a lot of material and give people lots of ideas for them to try out and then take away. And when I see, especially a beginner, you know, do something that they feel really successful at it, it just, totally makes my day. I I don't know. I just find it really gratifying. And, you know, a lot of really great musicians, um, they consider teaching part of the work they do, you know, passing along information to mm -hmm. younger people or not necessarily younger people. But yeah, I think it's really important. I, I don't really like being holed up in my studio, which is in my house, by the way. I don't like being holed up there all the time. I like getting out and meeting people. Okay. All right. This last set of classes that you taught, what, what were you, in, what were you giving instruction on? Um, two of them uh, were trees of the West. And then one of them was a special focus on the Sitka spruce, which is our coastal tree, which had, down on the Oregon coast and the Washington coast, it achieves a massive, massive size. And it's just a real fun kick to try to, to paint it and draw it. We had a great time. And how many, how many, um, approximately how many people uh, attended these? Uh... Uh, each class had 12 students and, uh, you know, they keep it limited. It's mm -hmm. a very high quality art experience and it's neat to be surrounded by the forest. I, it was really cool on the last day of the last class. I heard these blue jays making a big, Stellar's jays making a big, big commotion. And I knew there had to be a hawk. Mm -hmm. eagle or owl nearby so we walked up the steps behind the classroom and i lucked out and spotted a great horned owl and uh, it was just so fun you know we wow. all we were all just thrilled to see it anyway that's what's cool about that place you know you're not in the city in some art art studio you're right. out there where you're going to see things that are really wonderful and not available to people in cities I enjoy art, but I have an uneducated vocabulary. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can say I like something. And then if you ask me to or explain to you why, um, I become very, um, I'll stumble over my words greatly, mm -hmm. but I'm looking, I am on your, um, I'm looking at some of your, uh, note cards, jigsaw puzzles and all that, that have, have your artwork on them. And I think, I think I actually, I think I, I love the idea of jigsaw puzzles is, a way of bringing art to the dining room table, literally, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and I really enjoy 
the style, but I don't know how to articulate it. So I'm mm -hmm. looking at your, right now, I'll just click on this link. I am looking at your birds, uh, the 2024 wall calendar. Mm -hmm. Help me out here. Show pity on me. <laughs> Can you, how, how should I describe this art from a, a technical standpoint, if you will, not, you know, I, I like it cause it seems like it has, you know, bold lines isn't the right way of putting it, but the, the, yeah, help me out here because yeah, I'm, well, I'm really struggling. Well, <laughs> Scott, that's interesting because the block prints, which is what that is, they really do affect people in a rather different way than, say, looking at a watercolor. Mm -hmm. I, I think you get this immediate impact, like, wow, that is a bird, and those are flowers, and right. it's an exciting world where everything is vibrant and full of energy, and maybe that's why you like it. Um, I know they've been popular for pomegranate and people buy them from me a lot um there's something about the medium that really hits people and you know i my analysis of it is that the best ones use a lot of primary colors okay bright or even secondary colors and the black the white and the color is that's the kind of thing that a child that's the first thing that a child is gravitates to you know as people get older they you know sometimes they become more subtle in their tastes but i've never got i mean i can be subtle but i also like the things that children like so and i think that's true for a lot of people so somehow my brain process that you just called me a child i'm kidding i kid i'm kidding i'm teasing <laughs> you do not take me seriously well wait <laughs> scott but wait I mean, I think that it's great that people still find a child in themselves. You know, that sounds maybe a little corny, but but really, I, I think that's, I've tried to explain why I like the block prints for birds and mm -hmm. butterflies and animals. And it's because when you see a bird, you, you feel a thrill. It's thrilling. And, you know, a watercolor has a different impact on people. It, it's not thrilling necessarily. Thank you for saying that because I'm I, as I was thumbing through your book, I enjoy the watercolors. It's not that I don't like them, but I mm -hmm. found the block prints to be what were catching my eye. Like mm -hmm. I was being drawn to those. So because I know nothing about this process at all, mm -hmm. can you walk me through? Sure. I'm looking at the, um, I believe it's a quail. It's the cover yeah. of the 20. Okay. I, I have dozens of them in they block my driveway whenever I try to leave. All the oh, little, right. Over just, in Wenatchee. Yeah, course. lots. I mean, they're lots. Like so many, <laughs> so many of them. And they never look like this, by the way. I mean, they're, they're always standing in the middle of my road. And, and, <laughs> um, and my dog just is fascinated by that. Of course. So can you walk me through how, how do you create that? I mean, what's going on there? Well, I'll give you the full process. Okay. Um, I happened to see that quail here in Seattle. Long ago, they were at Magnuson Park, which is pretty close to my house. Okay. And I took a picture of it. Beautiful bird standing on a log. Great pose. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I really want to do a print with that. But I don't want to put it in Magnuson Park in Seattle. I want to put it where people identify this bird. You know, mm -hmm. California, California quail and you know poppy so 
I started thinking how neat it would look with a bunch of poppies and a, and a hillside, a California hillside covered in poppies. Mm-hmm. And so I did a little a thumbnail sketch, you know, nothing too big. And I thought, yeah, this could work. So then I developed the drawing. Once I have the drawing the way I want it, I put it on a block. And then I use carving tools to carve out the raised lines that you see that are black. Everything that is black has not been carved out, okay? That is called a relief print. So the black lines are in relief. Sounds a little complicated and you kind of almost have to see it, but then uh, then you print it and okay. you can you can do it in a press or you can do it by hand. I do them by hand. Okay. I just use a spoon. I put the printmaking paper on top of the print, press down really hard. You know, if you've ever done a rubber stamp, it's pretty much the same process. Okay. And then uh, I use an oil-based ink so that then I can use watercolor on on the non-black uh, areas of it. You had said that the blocks are all the same size. So what was yeah. that size? Eight by 10. Eight by 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the reasons I do that is if I do things, um, you know, in odd sizes or anything other than what I have figured out how to frame, it begins to cost a whole lot of money. You know, framing, you've probably framed some stuff, custom frames, very expensive. So anyway, I've got got it figured out so that I don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel every time. So that's good, that's good. I've got kind of a little production going. Whenever I ask an artist this question, sometimes you, sometimes I get in the weeds of technical, but how long does it take you to carve out a print like that? Well, let's just say I was going to start the thing in a day. I could probably do an entire print in about seven hours. Oh, okay. That's not not as long long. as I was expecting actually. No, not that long. Okay. Yeah. And then, so on these, if you were to um, press them, are you making just one copy or, or how, how, how replicatable yeah. is this process? Well, that's a very good question. Um, typically I'll do about three at a time. I don't want to do a full edition. Most of my editions are 25, but <clears throat> the problem is, you know, you might do a print and not find anybody interested in it. And I don't want to have a whole closet full of, <laughs> of prints. That's, you know, wasteful and it's expensive. So, um, I'll do three at a time. And, you know, I, because I can do watercolor pretty predictably, I can make them look very similar from print to print. But obviously, since it's all hand done, there's going to be some variation. And actually, even a a machine, you know, something done on a professional press, you're going to have some variation between, between prints. Okay. So if I were to purchase this as an original, would mm-hmm. do a, a run of 25 would mm-hmm. be would be the goal for you uh yeah this particular print the california quail i i did 50 okay. i anticipated 50 of that because i knew that people liked it and once i run out of an edition that's it there aren't any more and i can't make another one so why yeah. why can't you make another one you've got the block or um, do you destroy the blocks <clears throat> No, I don't destroy them. And it's true that, you know, a lot of Japanese prints are, they can still be produced now, but 
it's not actually fair to the people who bought the print thinking they were buying a limited edition print. That's okay. how I see it. No, I, and I agree with you. I, yeah. I, I do. I, I agree with you. I've seen a lot of um, like poster makers will do, mm -hmm. you know, limited edition, say one of a hundred. Right. And then they'll re-release it without numbers on it. And, exactly. You know, That's they'll, right. They'll, or, you know, or the, like behind me is a proof of something. And um, Oh, yeah. I see a guy with sunglasses and a oh, poster behind oh, you. That's uh, <laughs> he that looks is familiar. A yeah, it, it, it's a map of Seattle with a silk screen of Tony Bourdain over it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything that's in that back wall has something to do with Washington in one way or another. Oh neat. And where Anthony Bourdain comes in is I actually chauffeured him uh, from Portland to Seattle one time. Oh, and, but what uh, fun! It was a it was a memorable experience, and then. Um, he gifted my daughter and I tickets to his event at the Paramount Theater. And mm. um, I won father of the century, not just the year, the century. Oh. Um, for taking my daughter to, to my daughter to that. Um, I bet. Something we still talk about 10 years later, actually. Neat. Uh, more than 10 Neat. years now. Um, so I, I see poster makers that's that's kind of had their way around it. They'll sell, mm -hmm. you know, a limited edition mm -hmm. of X and then they'll reproduce it in a a mass run, if you will, versus, you know, that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I like the fact that you, if you say you're going to do a, a run of X, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, from a, okay. So it, it takes you a, a day, I'll say a day to carve, carve out the, the block. When you, when you, uh, when you do watercolor to it, how long does that process take you? I mean, after all these years of practice, I'm, I'm going to guess you're fairly, fairly yeah. speedy, but. Oh, probably about an hour. Really? Mm-hmm. Both of your answers have surprised me. They mm. both are faster than I anticipated, to be honest. And I don't know why. This is just my 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 speculation. Fascinating. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and I interest now that you say that it is something about the, the block print that's bold versus mm -hmm. a watercolor is more more of a subtle mm -hmm. a subtle thing. I hadn't so that's where I struggle, I don't articulate well. So you've done these as cards calendars and puzzles what prompted you to do puzzles you know that's not my decision at all um, pomegranate is a very successful publisher and they have editors and art you know graphic designers mm -hmm. who i send the art to and if they like it they decide what they want to do with it and now of course they you know they ask me first is it okay but right. um they do during the pandemic, they did amazingly with puzzles, as you can right. probably imagine. Right. And uh, it's a big moneymaker for them. It's very uh, successful for them. So this was the first one that they did of mine. And I was really excited. I thought it was great. So did, um, they decide what they're going to do with my art. Did they send you one and did you put it together? Yes, they've sent me one. But, you know... I'm I'm a little bit too impatient to really get into a puzzle. And thankfully, I believe this one's only 500 pieces. There's no way I'm ever going to look at anything more than 500 pieces. I'm laughing for a number of reasons. <laughs> really? <laughs> I I I as you, I not I'm too impatient, but there is a there's a relatively well-known librarian in the Seattle area that I'm sure you know, you may know her personally, you know the name Nancy Pearl. 
Oh yeah. I don't know her personally, so but very Nancy, familiar. Nancy was a guest on the show and we were talking and I follow her on social media and she's, I, it's weekly. It's at least once a week. She's publishing a photograph of a thousand plus piece jigsaw puzzle that she's completed and she's oh ready gosh. to send it off to somebody so that's her thing she she does jigsaw she probably puzzles. listens to audiobooks while she's she doing does it. yeah <laughs> i'm exactly sure right. she, she could not read all those books in 2000 piece puzzles oh she, i just crack up because you you're saying you're impatient i'm laughing because i am as well and then there's this other person that that you know that i've i've talked to it that you're aware of that you know is that's their thing yeah so they so this is interesting so as an artist now i'm looking at your uh mount rainier and uh is that sub subalpine first yeah subalpine sorry i thought that was a typo the note card lovely note card mm -hmm. um what have they ever said to you, hey, we want to take this art and do something, and you said, oh, I don't really like that idea? Um, no, because they're wonderful. They do beautiful work. Okay. And, you know, among publishers, card publishers, their royalty system is so fair and so generous. Okay. I'm excited. You know, the other thing is not everybody can afford to buy a print. And the wonderful thing about them, and you mentioned this earlier in our conversation, this brings art to everybody. This mm -hmm. is affordable. People can buy this and enjoy art. And they publish, you know, contemporary artists, but they also publish many really good artists from the past. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, there's no way you're going to want to, you know, you're gonna, not going to be able to buy a painting by Monet or, you know, and they publish things like that. So right. it's great. That's that's awesome. So walk me through, and I had no idea we'd go this direction. That's the beauty, beauty of the show. But walk me through this this note card this mount rainier note card you submitted the art do they do they like say hey we're looking for ideas or what do you have you know how did how does one go about submitting how did you go about submitting the art and what's the um, process like with them um you know because i have a really long standing relationship with them probably you know 40 years mm -hmm. um i just do art I send it to them and I don't do anything. And, and this is how they operate. If they like it, they publish it. If they don't, it goes in my closet with all the things that haven't sold. I mean, hopefully I'll offer it for sale at some point, but right. um, I just do what I'm inspired to do. Um, okay. it, it's a pretty nice thing. I mean, that's one of the pleasures of being an artist. Uh, you know, you can sometimes just do what you feel like doing. And I love Mount Rainier. And one of my books is Mount Rainier, an artist tour. And mm -hmm. I've spent many, many days at Mount Rainier and I just love, love it. And so that's inspiring to me. So I do things that inspire me and it's real hard for me to do. Like sometimes people ask me to do a commission, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not crazy about that because it doesn't mean anything personally to me. And I, I've only done a few because okay. I just don't really enjoy it very much. I want to go back to when you moved. So did you grow up in Minnesota? Did you grow up in that area? Uh, 
Well, my dad was in the military, so we moved around quite a bit. And one place we lived for several different times was Denver. And I just got a real love for the mountains living okay. in Denver. So moving to Seattle was just so easy for me. You know, so that, what was it like when you saw Rainier for the first time? Oh, my gosh. I just can't. I can't even tell you. I remember driving up um, above the Nisqually, you know, that really steep incline as you're going up towards paradise. And mm -hmm. I just remember my jaw dropped. I could not believe how big it was. And I still feel that way. Every time I go there, I can't believe how big it is. It just, it floors me. So, yeah. So I grew up in the Tacoma area my entire ah, life. Uh -huh. I, I grew up as a child in the Tacoma area. Mm -hmm. And so Rainier was always, if mm -hmm. it wasn't cloudy, Rainier was always present. Mm -hmm. And then I went to college in Ellensburg and mm -hmm. you don't see the mountain there. Mm -hmm. Never really paid any attention to that. Mm -hmm. I, after college, moved to Seattle, saw the mountain on occasion. Not like, not like you do when you're down south. Um, I have friends that live in the Bonnie Lake area where it seems mm -hmm. like the mountain's just popping up out of their backyard. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So all of this. So the mountain's been part of my life for a long, long time. And when we moved to Wenatchee, um, my mother and father moved with us over here. And my mother misses the mountain terribly because her entire life up until 2017 had been in the Tacoma area mm -hmm. where the mountain is, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's present. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't miss it, mm -hmm. but I'm aware of it not being here. Yeah. But when I go down, what, what I do find to be really, really odd is when you see the mountain from Yakima, mm -hmm. it doesn't look like it's like, what mountain is that? It's yeah. weird to me. It's not, it's Rainier, but it's not yeah. Rainier. Yeah, I know. And, and it's, it's so, when you go up to it, like I went over Chinook Pass for the first time. Mm-hmm. What a, have you, have you traveled? Yep. Chinook? Oh beautiful, yeah. Beautiful mm -hmm. pass. What a, and I wasn't prepared for all the cars stopped along the side of the road for the photo ops. I was like, what's going on here? And I was like, what happened? Um, but, you know, it is such a, a magnificent splen. It's just amazing. It's, it's just, mm -hmm. I think we take it for granted. I know I do. I guess in a long winded way, I'm trying to say I've taken mm -hmm. the mountain for granted. And as an artist, it probably provides you with never ending content. You're right. I need to tell you that my birthday is coming up this weekend and I have this tradition. I don't always manage it, but I go to Mount Rainier somewhere near my birthday. Okay. And it just means so much to me. Um, and the fall color can be really spectacular at Paradise, but I may go up to Sunrise. Sometimes there are some really neat uh, plants up there that I love that turn great colors. There's one called Knotweed. One is blooming in the summer. It doesn't look like much at all, but uh, when, it, when it turns red in the fall, it's pretty stunning. So I haven't decided which one I'm going to, which place, but you know, what you said about the mountain and kind of missing your mom, missing it. When I used to fly back to Minnesota to see my family that still lives there, I, I, when we would fly back and we'd fly by Rainier, I would just have this great feeling of relief. I'm home, I'm home, and there's the mountain, and I'm home. And that was really cool. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how it's so, yeah. you know, it, it's so... Uh... 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm struggling with word. It's it's uh, I, and I'm the 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 host of the show. I better not. But I do I do think it's magnificent. It is it is wonderful, and we're lucky to have it. Mm-hmm. We're also lucky to have artists that you know capture it in you know creative ways of sharing it. You know, Scott, I just wanted to say one thing. You know, in my in all my peregrinations around the mountain, I realized that it does look different from almost every angle. So, you know, from Tacoma, it looks real different than it does from Seattle. And then as you drive south towards Olympia, it really starts to look strange because you can see the different crests on the mountain. And um, yeah, so it's fascinating. It's so big that it does look different from different perspectives. Go around to the Yakima and look at it that way. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like the same mountain at all. It, it mm-hmm. really, to me, I have to remind myself that's Rainier. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Now, as you get closer to it up from that way, you're like, okay, yeah, it's, it's Rainier. But when you're, when you're in the Yakima um, mm-hmm. area, looking, looking West at the mountain, it does, it does look very, very different. Mm-hmm. So we've meandered a long way around. <laughs> I want I want you to spend some time with me now on the trees of the West. Now, there's a thing on the show that we don't talk about certain places like <clears throat> Oregon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we'll, I'm gonna I'm we'll I'll allow it. I've been allowing mm-hmm. it more. I've been trying to be more inclusive lately and include Oregon and all of that because of the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest. But walk me through. How long was this book in the making? I mean, you said you had the artwork. So when, what's maybe the earliest piece in this book? Hmm, that's a really good question. Wow. Oh boy. Uh, I, I don't know, Scott. I can't even remember because I've been drawing and sketching these things for so long. But um, maybe something. No, you know, I just, I don't really know. I don't know. I cannot well, remember. But you could but, have made something up, by the way. You could. <laughs> well, I could have, but um, oh, what I want, what one thing I wanted to say is, you know, when I started hiking in Washington in my twenties, I started noticing how beautiful and strange the mountains way or the the trees up in the mountains are. You know, they form these very strange uh, shapes. Mm-hmm. They call it Krumholz. It's a German word, mean crooked stick or, you know, something to that effect. But they almost look like bonsai, you know, Japanese garden trees. Mm-hmm. And I just got fascinated with them. And I think that's when I started looking at trees. So probably there's something in the book <clears throat> that is, you know, from a, from an alpine view. Okay. Yeah. And do you have... This is akin to me asking, do you have a favorite child? But do you have a favorite medium to work in? Well, excuse me. Um, My first medium was watercolor, and I really, really like it. Um, Still love it. Yeah. I'm looking, uh, and and I'm going to show you. No no one can see this, but this is the page I've currently flipped to. Ah, yes. Yes. You can see it done two different ways. Right. right? And that's, and that's what I'm, that's, that's what stopped me here as I'm, as I'm flipping through is that Mm -hmm. the two different, the, the same basic image, two different styles. Can Mm -hmm. you, so 
Mountain and Hemlock they, and Mount Baker is the is the, yes, so for the audience. Let's yes. give them the you know the, the verbal storytelling here. Mm-hmm. Walk me through which one came first: the the watercolor or the block print? The watercolor. Watercolor came first. <coughs> and when you did this watercolor, were you mm-hmm. actually present here, or did you sketch this out and then come back to the studio? Yeah. Or walk, walk me That's through this. Great question. Just a minute, Scott, because I'm going to have to clear my throat. Okay. I'm getting scratchy. <clears throat> this happens sometimes when I teach, if I talk too much. Okay. Um, I would be lost without my camera. And okay. I'm not a professional photographer, but I take a lot of pictures when I'm out in the field. Sometimes okay. I sketch. This particular one, no, I took a picture. And I was fascinated by the growth habit of this mountain hemlock because they do they do weird things up in the mountains. Sometimes they'll the snow will cause them to bend down, and then they they propagate themselves with a a form called layering, where it's kind of like they set down roots where the tree bent down. Anyway, I've done various versions of this. I did an etching of it too, which is in the book. That one's one of my favorites, but. Yeah, the watercolor I started with because I really liked the image. And then I thought, you know, this one would make a really good block print. So that's why I did both. And I did that. I have done that with several things. And sometimes when I'm at a loss, you know, like, gee, what should I do now? I know people like the block prints. I'll just find a watercolor that I've done and I'd go, this could make a really good block print. So what criteria do you use to take something that was a watercolor and then go this would make a good block print what's that is a very very good question because when i teach the block printing people ask me well you know what's a good subject you know what should i do and what i think is something with really strong strong lines you know like very emphatic and then if it has bright color, that's a real plus too. So here the bright color was the meadow, you know, the the meadow ne- nearby. Mm-hmm. So those two things really make a good print. And I'm just, I'm going to skip through the desert stuff because that's not what, well, we sure. do have desert here, but you know. Yeah. Um, well, you, you guys live really close to it. You know, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time this spring uh, over there because mm-hmm. I'm researching my new book, Wildflowers. Mm-hmm. I've discovered some really great places and I'm coming back <laughs> next spring because I love it over there. Well, spill the tea. Where, where did you find over here that you liked? Well, I don't know if I want to share that information. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, you know, I there's a couple of really good guidebooks published by Mountaineers, and they have many great suggestions of where to go. And there's a really cool website uh, called Wildflowers of the Pacific Northwest. It's really neat because they, um, they're bullets in all these possible places, and they tell you, this is in bloom, this is over, this is coming up. Mm-hmm. I use that a lot when I in my research. Yeah. Where we live, we're physically close close to what's called the Sage Hills Trail. Oh yeah, I was there. It was amazing. And it, the when the when the flowers are in bloom, the parking around here is. I, I feel like I'm living next to a you know a trailhead of, of oh of, yeah of proportions. Sure. Um, but you know it's a it's a it's a wonderful little. Well, it's there's a pretty big climb at my end of it, um, but it, I didn't realize how far it goes north from where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to horse uh, horsehead lake um, yeah 
It's it's yeah, it's quite lovely. Mm-hmm. So you're coming out. So you're 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 going to. So you kind of you already said this. So I don't think I'm saying anything I shouldn't say publicly. So you're coming out with a. a there will be another book coming out. And it'll be on wildflowers. Yeah, and it's going to be a companion volume to Trees of the West and Birds of the West, and okay. I'm having a lot of fun with it and discovering, as I just said, some really beautiful things in Washington that you know. I had no idea. There was one place I was over in your neck of the woods um, where I discovered a cactus, a hedgehog cactus, which shocked me. I mean, it looked like something that should be growing in California, you know? So it's it's exciting to me because it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been in the state, you are always going to find something new that you didn't even know existed. And I find that really exciting. Well, the geography of the state is is incredibly diverse. You're um, right. Yeah. Uh, one thing. So, have you ever been to? Um, well, you've been to Leavenworth, right? You've been. Oh through, yeah. yeah. Okay, you've been mm-hmm. to Leavenworth. Have you ever been? If, have you ever gone on a hike up into uh, the Enchantments? Yes. Yes, I did years ago. Okay. Years ago, it's an absolutely marvelous. So when I first started the show. Hmm. I had a guest on from uh, a geology uh, professor from Central Washington University. Mm-hmm. Very new to doing this, and I was very nervous. And he's he's done. He had a show on PBS. He's he's very very comfortable, you know, speaking and presenting. I think I know who you're talking about because I saw his show. Nick cool. Sentner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Nick Sentner comes on, and I, I've told the story before. Well, I'll, I'll share it with you right now. So. Back then, so I reached out to him about being a guest, and he writes back, sure, when? I mean, it was literally like, sure, when? And I said, how about, you know, I'm making this up, Tuesday at 9 a.m. Sure, send me the link. Tuesday at 9 a.m., he pops on my screen like you did this morning. Mm-hmm. Hey, and he go, I go, hi, and he goes, hi, let's go. And that was it. He was mm-hmm. ready to roll. And I'm like, so that was before I ever had these introductory phone calls with a guest. To kind of, okay. Yeah. And I had like 30 seconds and I was like, okay, hang on, Scott, this is going to be interesting. And he, he took off and he was, he was, he's entertaining. He was mm-hmm. great. And he made a statement and I went, whoa, whoa, wait, stop. I go, you're telling me blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, you're paying attention. And I just laughed because I think he was setting me up with this. So this is, this is something that you said no longer, no matter how long you've lived here. I never knew this before. The rocks in the enchantment enchantments. Do you know where they came from? Um, I do not know. Tell me. Those rocks, I guess there's ways for geologists to tag them mm-hmm. using using scientific methods that escape me. Mm-hmm. Those rocks originated basically in Baja, California. Wow. And have Neat. migrated through the millennia mm-hmm. to where they are now and up into Canada. Cool. I had, I think of a mountain and I think of it as being the ultimate permanent thing, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's there, it's not going anywhere. Well, Mm -hmm. that's not true. Mm -hmm. And these rocks started their existence in what we call Baja, California. Great. Very cool. And here they are in Washington state or, you know, Oregon Mm -hmm. in some capacity and British Columbia and all this. It's just fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. So yes, you can find pretty much anything here in the state from uh, a, a geology standpoint and there's always something our tagline is there's always more to explore and there mm-hmm. is there's just so much more to 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 do and to uncover and see and i love the fact that you're um 
still finding those things too. You know, one thing uh, about the enchantments, there, there's a beautiful tree there, which you're probably aware of, the subalpine larch. Mm-hmm. And um, they also grow uh, up at Washington Pass um, near Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. And I've taught classes many times for the North Cascades Institute. And one of my favorite things we do is when we're there in the fall, we go up to Washington Pass and we paint the larches when they turn gold. And people don't know that this is a very unique species that really does not extend much beyond these two areas we just mentioned. And they're stunning. Just I did stunning. not realize that they were in that um, specialized of a you know location. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So... You got a new book. Do you have a approximate ETA of when? Um, I think it's going to be a couple of years yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A couple of years. And you're teaching classes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift into a couple of questions that I kind of, you know, I always ask guests. Um, number one, so you live in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And you disclosed to me, and we're still friends, that you're not a coffee fan, but you drink tea. That's okay. <laughs> but if I'm coming over to Seattle, I, I, I drink coffee wherever I go. It's, it's, it's a mm-hmm. must. It's, it's almost like my, it's the thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Where, if you and I were going to meet for a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, where would you recommend we go? Oh, I think, I think we'd go to Zoka. Zoka. Z-O-K-A. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a couple of locations in Seattle and there's one near me and I've met friends there for tea and coffee a number of times. Okay. And since you're a tea drinker and it's a coffee shop, how is the tea experience there? And it's okay to say it's not the best. It's okay. No, it's, it's very, very fine. It's very, very fine. fine. Now, if I were going to play along and say, no, let's just go for tea. Cause I don't, I enjoy tea as well. I just, my preference is coffee, but if we we're going to go for tea, is there a, a great place to go for tea in your area? You know, I have to tell you, Scott, that I haven't gone out for tea. Um, you know, people who are true connoisseurs drink Japanese teas. And um, uh, I know a guy who who uh, imports tea, but mm-hmm. I have never become a real connoisseur of it. So I couldn't really tell you that. Okay. So when I ask a person what their coffee drink of choice is, mm-hmm. like mine is just, I enjoy black coffee. Mm-hmm. I, I, so what tea do you enjoy? Well, I like English breakfast, Irish breakfast, sometimes Earl Grey, and I drink it like the Brits do. I like tea. I like my tea with a little bit of milk and honey. Okay. (laughs) What is the difference between English and Irish breakfast? I think the Irish breakfast might have a little more green tea in it. I guess that kind of follows, doesn't it? It does, it makes actually. Sense. It does. Yeah. Now you say <laughs> the that, Emerald actually... Isle. Right. No, it does. That makes sense. All right. And since I'm probably going to show up around lunchtime, mm-hmm. where's a great place for lunch in that okay. part of Seattle? I've got a new favorite. Okay. It's the El Camion food truck on Sandpoint Way. It's Mexican food. Really good. Really good. And super inexpensive. I was not seeing that one. Really? Yeah, it's really good. I recommend it. You throw you you've thrown me. What what so what? What would you order? What would you what have you tried? And, what, what, share more. Um, I like their uh, 
chicken enchiladas and their guacamole is amazing. And they have like 20, well, it's not 20. They probably got about six different little salsas, uh-huh. you know, different, different flavors, chipotle, um, super hot. Um, do you like okay green so, sauce do you like you know. heat do you like yeah i spicy? like it yes, you do. i like it mm-hmm. i'm kind of a wimp oh, okay i'm kind of i mean I'll, my my son is i mean i think he just buys hot sauce that sounds disgusting <laughs> just to just say that you know i, I know i drink gasoline dad look at me you know <laughs> i uh, mm, but I, I appreciate flavor so i can take more I, I don't like heat for the sake of heat if it's got flavor to it yeah. i will i will i will sure endure it a little bit more yeah okay all right so as we're gonna wrap this up i've got two questions and i pro i prepped you that there was gonna be one question i wouldn't disclose mm-hmm. so i'm gonna give you the other question first i'm gonna make you wait a little longer so well, actually, I have three questions for you. Number uh, question number number one is your teaching schedule. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Where do you normally teach? How often are you teaching? And where can people find out more about that? Um, I will be teaching a class on Zoom for the North Cascades Institute. Perhaps you heard about the fire, the sourdough fire up yes. on Highway Twenty. Unfortunately, it it kind of threw a wrench into their class programming. So, you know, I had planned to do a fall color, watercolor class for them in October, Mm but we we decided that we couldn't do in-person classes. So I'm going to do an online class for them on, I think it's October 14th, but they'll have information on their website about it. But I, I put information on my website too. And one thing I will be doing too is um, I like doing library programs for local libraries where I bring materials for people to try things out. And okay. so I may be at a few local libraries, um, might be up at Darrington in October. Okay. They're celebrating their remodel. And I don't know, I just like getting out there and, and meeting people from different parts right. of the city and, and the state. All right. Part two of that question is if people want to find out more about you and about your art and your books, where, where would they be able to find out online? They could come to my website, mollyhashimoto.com. Um, and also uh, Pomegranate probably has a little info and some Mountaineers books does too. And we'll put links to all that in the show notes. Sure. For you. Okay. So here's the question. You ready? Mm-hmm. It's a very important question. Cake or pie? And why? Mm. Uh, pie. Pie. I make a pretty good crust okay. from the joy of cooking. Okay. And I love boysenberries, uh, though I, I haven't made one yet. I discovered them at the farmer's market recently. But apple pie, I, you know, I go to the U District Farmer's Market and Grouse Mountain, which grows their fruit over in Chelan. Mm-hmm. They're over here, and they bring this this heirloom apple called Prairie Spy. It makes the best apple pie. You cannot believe how good it is. Really? Yeah. Elaborate. Let's let's continue. See, I love this question because some people some people would still be debating with themselves. Like, it's you know they they can't answer the question. So other people are like adamant. <laughs> you know, boom. And then yeah, the other one, like and what I've, what I've noticed about this in, 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 uh, is people are adamant about one or the other, 
Mm-hmm. And the other one is absolutely horrible. Like never, I will not oh. do. And I think it's funny because it's not meant to be a you know a really oh. polarizing question. Yeah. It's just meant to be kind of fun. But well, listen, I like cake a lot too. My daughter's a great baker. She okay. makes me for Mother's Day and my birthday. She makes some pretty fabulous cake. So but, but, it was a little hard for me. It was a little but you hard. Answered quickly. <laughs> you quickly. You jumped. You jumped firmly into the pie category. Really yeah, quick. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about these apples, though, because I've not heard of them. And yeah. why do you feel that they make the best apple pie? Well, you know, I asked um, Scott. I'm pretty sure Scott is one of the co-owners of the orchard. I can't remember his last name, but it's Grouse Mountain. Okay. He's just a wonderful guy. It has the best produce. I asked him, I said, you know, I love baking pies and I, I can't seem to find the perfect apple for pie. And he says, well, my wife says that the prairie spy, which he has there right. is the best. So I find out that he's bringing them around, you know, mid third week of September. So I will definitely be buying some for a pie. And I can't really tell you, but I think what it is, is it's it's both, it it cooks down enough. Like say you use a Granny Smith, they're too crisp, they're too hard. Mm-hmm. You need something that's going to cook down, has a little bit of a bite, but it's also sweet. Okay. Yeah. Fair. So with the apple pie, are you a fan of, you know, this is, this is where it gets, you know, but like <laughs> some people like to put cheddar cheese on. Are you a fan of cheese on them? No. Okay. No. Ice cream? Sure. Vanilla ice cream? cream? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no wrong answers here. That's the thing. (laughs) There's no, there's no wrong answers here. But I am amazed. (laughs) I'm amazed at people's, you know, uh, emphatic nature of their answers sometimes. Yes. Uh, Yours is more like, well, I prefer pie, but cake's good too. Um, so if it's a cake, what, what, what's your go-to cake? Like if it was, if it was your birthday and your daughter mm-hmm. said, Hey mom, I'm going to, I'm going to bake a cake for you. What do you want? Any cake? What would you um, ask your daughter? Well, it's funny. You should ask that question. Cause I just wrote her yesterday, emailed her and told her black forest cake is, is what I want. If you that, feel like you want to make it that, I'd this love year, it. it's a black forest cake. That's yeah, yeah. okay. It's solid. It's really <laughs> solid. I, I like that. Okay. Last question. I promise you. What didn't I ask you that I should have? What didn't we cover that you would like to bring up? Oh, that's a really good question, Scott. You know, I, I think you did cover everything. Um, really. I'm, I'm really pleased at all the questions you asked me. Um, I guess the only thing maybe that I'd want to say to people is, Going outside and looking at things like trees, flowers, birds, I see it as a way to establish some priorities in your life that that will make you happier. And I'd really like to say that. And I think when you start making art about these things, you begin to look at them even more closely and you take even more pleasure from it. Okay. I think we can end right there. Okay. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. That was wonderful. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore Law State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. 
This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.